Discouragement can do more than take the wind out of our sails. It can truly be debilitating. But as we're about to be reminded in this message from Stuart, we must not overlook the tremendously powerful effect of encouragement. We'll get started with that teaching in just a moment. But first, when your hope is tied to God, even the most troubled times can strengthen your faith. We want to help you find strength in times of discouragement with Stuart and Jill's five-message compilation, Hope for the Disheartened. We'll send it to you on CD or USB as our thanks for your gift to help reach more people through telling the truth. Call us today at 1-800-889-5388 and request Hope for the Disheartened. That's 1-800-889-5388. You can also give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's today's message from Stuart. Now we're going to turn our attention to the ancient prophecy of Haggai. A couple of people said to me, I'd never heard of Haggai. And somebody else sent word to me, why in the world are we spending time talking about a building project that didn't get off the ground 2,500 years ago? Well, that's a good question. Let me remind you. The situation was this. The children of Israel had been banished from Jerusalem and from Judea and from Israel as a result of their disobedience towards God. He'd warned them this would happen, and it happened. He told them that they would be in exile for 70 years. The end of 70 years, Cyrus, the king of Persia, looked favorably upon them, gave them freedom to return to Jerusalem, actually gave them all kinds of help and encouragement in rebuilding the temple and the city of Jerusalem. They went back with considerable degree of enthusiasm, got started in reinstituting the worship of Jehovah there, but very, very quickly ran into discouragement and uh, for about a space of 18 years, nothing much was done in terms of rebuilding the temple. Then along came a prophet called Haggai, and in the name of the Lord, he asked him a very good question. He said, all right, you say you don't have time to rebuild the Lord's house. But if that's the case, how come you've got time to be doing all kinds of work on your own houses? That was a pretty good question. He went on to explain to them, look, you're experiencing all kinds of difficulties in your lives. What you don't seem to understand is this. There is a direct connection between the fact that you're not rebuilding the Lord's house and the difficulties that you're running into. In other words, what Haggai was saying to the people was this. There can be a very direct connection between a failure to nourish our spiritual lives and the practical problems we run into in our lives. Now, I hope that's clear. Because, you see, that is a principle that obtains in all generations and in all cultures. And many of us, perhaps, need to be looking at our lives and saying, what in the world went wrong with it? And we may have looked for all kinds of solutions when we've all looked what could be the root problem. And that is a failure to nurture and nourish our own spiritual life. Well, this was the message that Haggai brought. He did it very effectively. 
And the people responded to what he had to say. And they said, in effect, yes, you're right, Haggai. We really need to get to work and rebuild the Lord's temple. And the reason they did that was they recognized that what Haggai was saying to them was the word of the Lord. And they also believed it when Haggai reminded them that the Lord was with them. And so their spirits were stirred up, and with great enthusiasm, they went back to the work after 18 years. Well, the encouragement didn't last very long. For less than a month later, Haggai comes with a second message to them. And the reason for this second message is quite frankly this. Less than one month after they returned with great enthusiasm to the work of the Lord, they're running out of gas again. They are becoming discouraged. And so he has for them today a message of encouragement. That's where we pick it up in Haggai chapter 2. Now notice that the question that Haggai asks them is this, verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? In other words, the foundations have been laid. They've done about three and a half weeks work on it. And when they look at what they've done, they say to themselves, gee, this doesn't amount to much at all, does it? And there's a note of discouragement there. Doesn't take long for people to become discouraged in their lives. Now, there are very good reasons for these people experiencing discouragement. If you check in the book of Ezra sometimes, remember, you need to read Ezra and Nehemiah and Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel in conjunction with Haggai or Zechariah as well. They're all related to each other. But if you check in the book of Ezra sometime, this is what you'll discover that almost as soon as Haggai and Zechariah got them rebuilding, along comes a very important official called Tatanai. And Tatanai says to them, well, who gave you authority to build uh, this building? And what exactly are the names of the people involved in this project? And I am going to be questioning uh, the King Darius uh, in headquarters about this. And we are going to be checking out if you are doing something totally unauthorized. That's how people in authority tend to speak to you when they want to put a wrench in the works. And so uh, the, the, the people immediately are running into all kinds of problems with the authorities. Now, if you check in Ezra, you'll also discover that this wasn't just a temporary thing. Actually, after King Darius died, another king, and then King Xerxes, they were still giving them problems. And after King Xerxes, there was King Artaxerxes, and they were still giving them problems. And my estimation is that these problems probably went on for 60 or 70 years. Just plain awkward cussedness on the part of the authorities. I don't know if you've ever run into that kind of thing, but it can be pretty discouraging. be right back with more of Stuart's message. But first, everyone experiences disappointment in life. And when things don't go the way we want or expect, in big or small ways, discouragement can become entrenched in our hearts and minds. But that doesn't mean we have to lose heart or stumble in our faith in life's most troubling moments. 
and in hope for the disheartened, Stuart and Joel Briscoe's new five-message series, you'll discover why our hope must be tied to God and reliant on His strength and timing. You'll also be encouraged as you hear Stuart and Joel point you and anyone who's feeling discouraged to the all-powerful God of hope. Hope for the Disheartened is our way to thank you for your support to encourage more people around the world through the teaching and resources of Telling the Truth. So be sure to request your copy today when you call and give. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. You can also give online at tellingthetruth.org. For many, our smartphones have become our social connection but we want to help you make a spiritual connection with the Telling the Truth mobile app. You can listen to daily programs, engage in Bible reading plans, journal, and share your thoughts and prayers on the community wall. Get the Telling the Truth app through your app store or log on to tellingthetruth.org slash mobile app. Remember, you can also give to support Telling the Truth on our mobile app. Now, let's hear some more of today's teaching from Stuart. There's something else that we've already suggested to you, and that is the, the remembrance of the former glories. Which of you, says Haggai, which of you can remember the, the former temple? Well, there couldn't have been many of them because it was 70 years since it had been destroyed. So if they were still around on their hind legs 70 years later, then they probably uh, were very old and they must have been extremely young when they saw the temple. Now you remember when you're a kid and you look at a building and then you go back when you're an adult, you say, oh gee, how small it got. No, it didn't get any smaller. It's just that from a child's vantage point, a building looks magnificent. Well, there there were two problems here. There, There were children when they'd seen it, so it looked magnificent, this former temple. But now there's all kinds of nostalgia. Oh, this thing they've built now, it doesn't amount to anything much at all. So they've got all kinds of problems, roadblocks from the authorities, and then they've got the old timers bleaching about the good old days, and they're into nostalgia trips. And you can feel the enthusiasm draining out of the project. But then there's something else. They had been in captivity in Babylon, and while they were there, one of the preachers was a man called Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel wrote a whole lot of stuff, and he put it on one huge prophecy called Ezekiel, funnily enough. Now, it's a weird and wonderful book. You should read it sometimes. You won't understand a lot of it, but a lot of it is very, very gripping and very, very dramatic. I don't know why, but one time I wrote a book on on the prophecy of Ezekiel. And I called it All Things Weird and Wonderful. And funnily enough, the Dallas Theological Seminary did a review on it. I was amazed. And they said very few people will even attempt to write a book on Ezekiel, but Stuart Briscoe has attempted to. And his book is called All Things Weird and Wonderful. And they said if you're looking for a contemporary treatment of an ancient book, frankly, this is wonderful. But if you're looking for a good, solid, dispensational, premillennial treatment, this is weird. Well, I thought that was a very valid commentary on my commentary. I thought you'd be interested to hear that, but I can see that you have no idea what I'm talking about. So (laughs) I will press on regardless at this particular point. The point of Ezekiel is this. If you look at chapters 40 through 48, he has a grand vision of the temple. 
And if you look at this grand vision of the temple, it is splendiferous. It is absolutely magnificent. It is wild. It, it is huge. It is absolutely immense. And he gave them this prophecy 25 years after they'd been in captivity. They were there for 70 years. So for 45 years, they'd been fed on this great picture of this wonderful temple. And they come back and look at it. Look at this thing. This is the best we can do. You know, there's nothing quite so discouraging as unrealistic expectations not being met. Now, Zechariah came along two months after Haggai started preaching, and Zechariah comes up with a very powerful statement. He says, who are you to despise the day of small things? That's a good question. You people who are down in the mouth, you people are all discouraged because you've got these unrealistic expectations and you're turning your nose down, you're giving your thumb down on this project because you despise the day of small things. How dare you? You know why? You know why Zechariah raises that question? Because God, when he works, usually starts in a small, quiet way and lets things grow. I mean, this whole human race thing, we've got more than six billion of them. According to Genesis 1, it started with one couple. That's a pretty small start. When God started doing something with his chosen people, the children of Israel, through whom his eternal purposes would be worked out, he chose one little man called Abraham. When God wanted to do something dramatic called the Exodus to bring the people out of Egypt, he had to get them in there first. So he took one young fellow called Joseph, put him down there. When God wanted to bring a savior into the world, what did he do? He sent a baby born of a virgin. When God wanted to uh, get a group of people who would rally around his son, what did he do? He picked 11 fishermen from Galilee. When God wanted to start the work, what did he get? He got 120 frightened people locked in a room in Jerusalem. When God wanted to build a church called Elmbrook in the western suburbs of Milwaukee, what did he do? He got 13 people. 13 people. When God wanted to establish a ministry called Telling the Truth that would be the media arm of Elmbrook that would reach literally around the world every single day, what did he do? He got two or three of us down in the basement with one tape recorder. Whenever God does anything, he starts small. Never, never despise the day of small things but you see there are people who will always do that and when you've got the authorities putting roadblocks in the way and you've got people thinking nostalgically about the glory days that are more a figment of their imagination than anything else and then you've got the people who are despising little things and saying this will never amount to anything you can just hear the air going out of people's tires Not only that, as they looked at the situations that were confronting them, they recognized that there was no way that their problems were going to be solved overnight. They've got immense problems with the harvest. They've got immense problems with food. They've got all kinds of problems with adequate clothing. They've got all kinds of problems. And even if God says, I am going to fix your problems, they were smart enough to know that they were not suddenly going to be rectified. Everything that had gone wrong was not suddenly going to be put right. But you see, their problem was this. They were a little bit ahead of their times. They were into instant gratification. 
They wanted it fixed and they wanted it fixed now. The problems of life are rarely fixed quickly. They're rarely fixed easily. They're rarely fixed cheaply. They're rarely fixed painlessly. They're rarely fixed immediately. But what do we want? We want our problems fixed. We want them fixed now. We want them fixed quickly. We want them fixed painlessly. We want them fixed effortlessly. And we want them fixed cheaply. It's called instant gratification. And when you begin to realize that the problems, even if God is working in the problems, are going to be rectified, but you realize it's going to take time, that becomes discouraging. And on top of that, they realized that the simple fact of the matter was that if this temple was ever going to be built, it was going to be built on the basis of blood, sweat, and tears. And who's interested in blood, sweat, and tears? So we've got a discouraged bunch of people here. And listen very carefully. Less than a month after they're all enthusiastic. Anybody who's involved in motivating and mobilizing and organizing people knows it is relatively easy to get people fired up. It's relatively easy to get them fired up, particularly if you've got charismatic leadership. The problem is working with them so that you produce people who are characterized by keeping on keeping on. Because you see, discouragement is infectious and contagious. And that was the problem that Haggai was addressing. So much then for what I would call the debilitating dynamic of discouragement. Now here's the message that Haggai brings. And I want to call this the empowering effect of encouragement. Don't let's downplay the debilitating dynamic of discouragement. It's real, it's powerful, we have to cope with it. But don't ever let us be so overwhelmed by it because we forget the empowering effect of encouragement. Now, we pick it up now in verse 4 of chapter 2 of Haggai. This is his message to them. Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. That's pretty straightforward. That is a message of encouragement. Let's look at it piece by piece. The first thing I want you to notice is this. That when it says, be now, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, and repeats, declares the Lord, and then says, declares the Lord Almighty, the statement there is that what has just been said is an oracle of God. The word oracle is put after the statement. And that means this is not just any old run-of-the-mill statement. This is just just not some good idea that somebody has had. This is an oracle of God. This is a statement of God. It is a categorical statement of God. It is an authoritative statement of God. This is God speaking. 
And when God speaks, people listen. That's a message from Stuart Briscoe on today's Telling the Truth. We'll be right back to hear some closing thoughts from Stuart. But before we do, we want to tell you about an exciting resource we'd love to send you. The support of friends like you helps transform the world through sound biblical resources and teaching like you're hearing today. Because when people understand and apply God's word, they experience life in all its fullness. That's why we'll say thanks for your gift to help keep this teaching ministry going strong with Stuart and Jill's new five-message series, Hope for the Disheartened. In this encouraging series, you'll discover that when your hope is firmly tied to God, your faith can actually grow stronger in troubled times. It's a great resource for you and anyone else in your life who's facing discouragement, disappointment, or troubled times. So call today to request Hope for the Disheartened when you give to help transform hearts, families, and communities all over the world. Call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, let's hear some final comments on today's teaching from Stuart. Now then, this is what God is saying. Be strong. And in case you didn't hear it at the same time, he says, be strong a second time. And in case you missed it the first two times, he then says, be strong. Guess what God is saying authoritatively to his people? What is he saying to them? Be strong. Is this a suggestion? No. Is this a nice idea? No. Is this a little pat on the head? No. Is he wiping their fevered brow? No. Is he patting them on the back? No. Is he kicking them lower down? No. He is simply saying, I am God. Sit down, be quiet, listen. I'm going to tell you something. Be strong. It is not an optional extra. It is that which is expected of those who live in a relationship with the Lord of hosts. Now that is a powerful word for us. Because you see, sometimes, and we're no different from the people in Haggai's day, sometimes our discouragements are so discouraging that we feel it is perfectly appropriate and perfectly legitimate for us to go around being discouraged. If we are looking at the discouragements, that is the answer. That is legitimate. If, on the other hand, we are listening to the oracle of God, the authoritative statement of God... It is totally illegitimate for us to be going around being discouraged because the command of God, the authoritative statement of God, the oracle of God is what? Be strong. You say, ah, oh, this is Old Testament. Well, what about the New Testament? What did the Apostle Paul say? He said something very, very similar. In fact, he amplified it a bit. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. After the Gulf War, George Bush invited his greatest ally during that whole situation, Margaret Thatcher, to come over. She had been kicked out of power, so he brought her over and gave her some kind of an award. And at the award ceremony, President George Bush told a, a rather interesting story. He said that during the middle of the Gulf War, when things were very difficult and some major decisions had to be made, he got a phone call from Maggie Thatcher. 
And Maggie Thatcher said to him, and I thought it was rather interesting that President Bush admitted to her saying this to him, but she said to him in her inimitable style, George, this is no time to go wobbly. George, this is no time to go wobbly. Well, good old Maggie, she was right. This is no time to go wobbly. And I think Haggai is standing there in the ruins of Jerusalem with this pathetic little piece of work that they've worked on for three weeks and it's the best that they can do. And he stands on a rock and he says, ladies and gentlemen, in the name of the Lord, this is no time to be wobbly. What a word of encouragement to us. You see, you encourage people different ways. And that's one way. But he uses other ways. He immediately goes on to say, be strong to Joshua and be strong to Zerubbabel and be strong to the people and work. Now, here's a, here's a great encouraging factor. He tells them, do something. Just do something. We've got a temple to build here, folks. Powerful stuff from Stuart Briscoe. Just a reminder before we close today's broadcast, when you call and give to help more people experience life, we'll send you the Briscoe's five-message series, Hope for the Disheartened, to help you grow in your faith even as you face troubled times. It's our thanks for your generous support today. Simply request your copy when you call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or give online when you visit tellingthetruth.org. Thanks for joining us today. Come back tomorrow for the conclusion of Stuart's message, The Empowering Effect of Encouragement. That's tomorrow here on Telling the Truth.